thank you for joining me on my next episode of podcast, Mr. Emmett Coyne, my grandfather. The old dude. The old dude, yes. The old cool dude that I wanted to sit down and have a good conversation with. Um, yeah, so I'm, I know you went to that uh, Star Trek event. How did that go? Well, that was uh, quite interesting. We just followed, uh, we weren't sure where it was, but then we started seeing costumes with uh, insignia on them, and mm-hmm. and we just followed them uh, in. Uh, it was an interesting collection of models and costumes wow. and uh, clips of, of the old-timey show, the whole series of, uh, of Star, Trek, Star so, Trek TV shows. So it was like the Comic-Con of Star Trek. Yeah, it wasn't huge, yeah. uh, but it was, it was well-organized, yeah. and they had a band outside that played... Star Trek themed music and you could buy drinks and there was wow. afterward but uh, yeah I, I didn't really want any Andorian ale or any of that sort of stuff <laughs> excuse me kept away from that yeah kept it clean yeah it's too, too blue for me too blue <laughs> yeah Star Trek Star Trek is such, it's always an interesting show I know they're coming out with that new the new one on CBS they've been really pushing Star Trek a lot recently on CBS like yeah, it's the second it, show they've done in a few years uh, although they have cancelled the fourth Star Trek movie Movie. Oh, did they? Yeah, they apparently have decided it wasn't blockbustery enough, and oh. I think that the world has decided maybe it really is a small screen um, phenomenon. It started out that way, and it uh, and it might be that uh, are we returning to that permanently type right. of yeah. Although the one thing that I really feel sad about the cancellation is I was hoping they would get to the part which now that they have Discovery and the new younger Spock, I would hope that they would get all three of them to meet and have uh, yeah. you know do, what? do a Back to the Future thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? At this point in how they make those movies, I could see it because they've been trying to cro- they've been cross platform, cross uh, integrating different characters and different roles and, and all types of things. And it doesn't matter if you're dead now with the deep fakes. You yeah. could absolutely. <laughs> have someone yeah. animate uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy yes. absolutely yeah that stuff is scary deep deep fakes that type of that type of technology like you can no one do that you can do pretty much anything I've seen Zuckerberg have one I've seen Obama they've done like oh yeah there's um, uh, Bill Hader is on a YouTube thing now where they they actually have a dial and they fade in and out he's doing an, an impression of Tom Cruise and they turn the dial and they fade him from Hader to to cruise, to hate her, and it's kind of creepy. Whoa, that's... So while he's moving and talking, it just switches, it just blends from one to the other. God, that's... Yeah. But that is an interesting problem. I know that for photographs that I think Adobe is putting a tool into their software that can detect whether something has been photoshopped, Mm. because when you clip in things, there are different statistics around the pixel scattering and the color differences and so mm-hmm. it came from different sensors it came from different resolutions and so that they can almost detect that but uh, you or they can detect it fairly regularly but who actually doctors the picture and sends off the original if you really want to do right. a good job you doctor the thing you put it on a 4k screen and then you snap a picture of it, <laughs> and then you get rid of all of the yeah. artifacts see that gives it that real like i just took this on my iphone isn't this crazy type right. of look so people right. are more inclined to believe that oh this is actually really real yeah that's that's very true yeah you know i saw it's funny you mentioned that with adobe i literally saw a video of someone in after effects they completely removed someone from the video that they were recording it's like a two-minute video where it showed a person that was like it was like a cop that was like arresting someone and in the fake deep fake i don't know if you call that video deep fake maybe you do the deep fake video they literally had the person removed from the video that was you know hitting him with a baton you couldn't mm-hmm. see it was just a man kind of just trying to get away trying to get away <laughs> and then they showed other version where it was him beating it and i'm just you know that type of stuff is i mean it, it seemed it was obvious because the action but just the fact that they can do that now is yeah, it, you know it, it'll take us a while to to adjust to that but if you I, i'm not even old enough to recall but when they first made motion pictures and they projected them one of the first motion pictures was a camera on the tracks of a train approaching mm-hmm. and um it seemed so real that people ran out of the theater when they saw the train approaching it was you know <laughs> puffing in steam and it was crashing right towards the screen yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that, and they were fooled. They, they, they're, they, but how long will it take us? Five years before we say, yeah, that's probably a deep fake. But yeah. you have to think about that. Is it really a deep fake? If it's not outrageous, it's right. could, could be very, real. It's very difficult to determine. It could just be a switch of a few words. Yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine someone could make our president say racist things or something <laughs> like that. Imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> No, that's that's something. You know, I actually about the Star Trek stuff because I was, I was, I was like asking you about this, like, because my mom is such a big Trekkie. She always the way she's Trekkie, she just says, "I just wish we were in Star Trek. I wish we were in, you know, I forgot the other show she likes to mention that we, she wishes that we were in the Jetsons. The Jetsons, yeah, yes. like, <laughs> like, and I think back to that time when those shows are coming out and kind of when you were like, I guess at MIT coming of age, that type of thing, like, did it feel like that at the time? Or was it just like, you know, regular did, regular stuff you were doing, regular did, work? Did it feel like what, futuristic? Did, yeah, did it feel like you were on the cutting edge? Did it feel like you were like... Well, I mean, absolutely. We thought uh, that, you know, we went to the moon and then, of course, we would just keep going because yeah. we got these really cool big rockets and, uh, but we didn't do much with it. Right. Um, the Jetsons, what, there was also, there was a lot, awful lot of sci-fi stuff in uh, Rod Serling's Twilight Zone mm. and there would often be space travel and things and you'd get this deep thought that he would be able to come up with every week and with what 22 minutes of content and it was that was great so i i watched that as a little kid on a mm. crummy old i think it was a nine inch screen and black and white tv I and was, wow. you know with a uh, rabbit ears on top <laughs> watching the snow <laughs> of the grainy analog signal but yeah and i was impressed with that absolutely mm. uh, i thought that really cool things would be coming um but uh yeah, it, it, it just strikes you how slow. It, t- it actually takes a generation. It's not that the technology can't move. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, let the old people move along so that the young people can can take it up and, right, and right. go with it. I mean, you can still buy a big button flip phone for your grandparents if you want. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. I, I don't have one of those. but <laughs> No, you do not. No, you do not. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, no, it's... it's I mean, you see what, like, yeah, yeah, the past, the past, from the 60s on to now, like, the technology, it seems like, it seems like it's gotten more just, like, personal, you know, and and less of the, the biggest, you know, the group ideas, you know, going to the moon or, like, building, you know, all types of different, you know, like, revolution technology, like transportation, that, like, you know, instant transportation or things like that, those, like, Jetson ideas. It seems like we kind of just accepted that those weren't going to happen. I, I still wish they're coming. Like, I'm on I'm on Elon's yeah. side. I'm, I'm, I'm with all that. Don't like, don't wait for a transport. Don't, don't wait for a transport. Okay. No, all right. No, I'm, no. I'm just, you know, I'm fishing. I don't know. That wasn't even put in for sci-fi. <laughs> it wasn't? It no, was, it was put in because they didn't want to waste all that time getting in a shuttle and flying to the <laughs> Seriously. They really? said, can't we just beam them down there? And then they're, they're in, in the action. Hey, well, you know what? No one wants to hear that side of the story. We just want to believe that they believed it. It is coming. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I did read that one. I read one scientific paper about how they were you know I'm, I'm sure I'm glossing over a lot maybe you know about this study where there was they were trying to shoot a particle from earth to the moon and they successfully were able to like transfer a particle from Earth to the Moon without it physically. No, you know, I this. think you're talking about quantum entanglement and, okay. and attempting to send information because of if you entangle two things at a quantum level, uh, particles you can and one of them shifts from a you know up polarity to down polarity spin or something. Yeah. The other one is entangled and so it will immediately know. I think mm, that's okay. Probably, and in okay. fact, that's, that's sort of how transporters were supposed to work you you knew where all the particles were and what orientation they were in and then therefore you could instantly reorganize some other particles mm. to be just like them i see, uh, I see. That's, yeah that sounds that sounds about right yeah that see and that's a whole other I, you know i don't i don't know enough about quantum mechanics but no, is, nobody does yeah nobody does uh, richard feynman the great physicist says if someone tells you they understand quantum mechanics they're lying <laughs> <laughs> that's a smart guy, so I trust that. Yeah, he's a really smart guy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's. I mean, I mean, that's a type of like, you know, beyond the grasp of even understanding on a day to day type of science. And I feel like it feels almost like science and a lot of like the deep, 
you know, questions about space, they become so abstract. It's so hard for like regular people to even like, you know, come to the table to even like talk about those things. Well, that's true. Everything has become so specialized. Even people in a field where they're academics and working in it, mm-hmm. you can't understand very well outside because there's just so much. It's mm-hmm. not like uh, you know. I was watching a, a, this morning on, on CBS the, uh, the Florence of uh, the Italy, the, and they were always pointing back to the Renaissance. That's where it started. At that point in time, you could be a Renaissance man. You could know. You could have read all of the important scientific books and art books. You could paint and engineer. You mm-hmm. could. Yeah, you could be a whole yeah. architect. Everything was possible. Um, now there is just so much you can't. I. I mean, I feel I'm saddened because I have a collection of journals just in a narrow field of computer science that I never get to read all of the stuff I want. It's just right. I, the next months come and mm-hmm. yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you think? I mean, for me, you know, growing up in time I am with just the internet and just the capability, just to really just see so much information you know, so quickly, I, I feel like, you know, I want to believe and I, I, I think I'm thriving, striving for for a time where it's like we're hitting a space where we are like in the Da Vinci period where we can learn many different things and we can begin specializing in more than just, you know, one one discipline. Um, well, it'll probably be useful on Mars where there aren't too many people. Yeah, well, You'll yeah. want to have people be more generally educated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just uh, that for sure. We can get into that. But I re- really just about like people being able to, um, you know, not to be totally dependent on the corporation in the sense, it's okay, in the sense of just like being able to do, let's say, you know, I can be a software engineer, right? Or I can have an online journal or blog that can generate money, or I can make podcasts, or I can, you know, there's different different things you can do. You know, you can be a real estate agent, you know, you can sell and buy houses. Like these are all different kind of different skills that help you like kind of get out of those 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 long hours that I think if people had back, I think they'd be, you know, more inclined to learn more. You know. Um, yeah, I don't know. One thing I have noticed is a lot of older people aren't that interested in learning more. And yeah. I, I hate to be an ageist here, but yeah. <laughs> I, that's why I usually hang out with younger people. Because they're a lot more interesting sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of stuck in their ways, a lot of older people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. I, I mean, they're settled and yeah. relaxed in their comfortable zone. I don't know. Yeah, they're right. stuck in their old ways, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I mean other other old. I'm not. I just mean other people. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, no, you're you're. I think you're far from selling your ways. Yeah, in yeah I don't know. I'm am sort of a dilettante. I just like learning stuff all yeah. the time. Yeah, that's that's that, that that's why that's why that's why I I hope I hope uh, you know the future of work looks like at least in America. You know, I mean. I mean, I think there is a lot of expectations with, like, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world that that would be, like, you know, on-demand would kind of take up a lot of the reins in the fall of, like, the economy. But I think that was just, like, the first step. I think there's a lot more room for people to, like, change what work means. Although you know. this on-demand stuff, and uh, I know you did a startup and trying to deliver something Grubhubby kind of yeah, thing yep. at mm-hmm. one point, uh, but the the Grubhubs, the Ubers, and uh, all and the uh, uh, what's it? There's all these like handyman things, mm-hmm. and you know that you can. All I see is that it's turned humans into cogs that work for very low wages and doing so. All those ideas, mm-hmm. I I wonder if that's the right path for all of this. Mm-hmm. I I kind of like uh, Andrew Yang's. I don't want to get too political. Uh, yeah. The idea of a minimum salary for uh, uh, people. That, that, that works in Denmark, uh, the idea of sort of, you're not going to get rich, you're going to get food and a place mm-hmm. to live, but then people could go to school, right. and then people could sit around and, in, and invent or, or write or right. something. And if you look at the way the money is distributed here, I mean, I don't, I'm not a socialist, but I think it just makes sense, because first of all, whenever you give money, that basic money to people who aren't super wealthy, they spend it on things in their neighborhood. They spend mm-hmm. it on commodities. Yep. They spend it on clothes. They spend it on things. And so that money gets churned very quickly back into the economy. Yeah, That's what happens with that. When you give a tax break to lower income people, it's not you're being, you're not just subsidizing poor people. You're putting more money into the economy instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, rich people 
do stock buybacks or buy a villa in you know mm-hmm. Italy or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I I I agree with you. I've I've liked Ging a lot, and I like I like that policy in particular. And I do agree with you on the Uber and like Lyft those things because they came into the market and they were following that startup path of basically raising a way too much money, burning a lot of people in the back, basically giving fake prices, which is, is cheaper to us, but it's hurting right. people that are actually driving there so they can get more market share. Right. You know, and as we've seen with like Uber, who's just IPO'd and yeah. Lyft, they've had hits in their employments because they've, they've had to downsize because they're public companies now. They can't hide behind right. a billion dollar buyback by a, a VC, so. And they also have to pay more big, like for around the crowded areas like airports and stuff. Yep. The rates are going up. Yep. It's not yep. as cheap as it used to be. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's going to be, It's. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people maybe, I mean, possibly called, you know, taxi industries and other, like, other old industries dead a little too soon because, I mean, they're not going to be, of course, as powerful as they've ever been, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident with some, as I've seen, actually, more updates on their technology, they'll be at the same, you know, table as Ubers and delivery companies at the same table as Grubhub and Postmates and stuff like that. I mean, I absolutely like the, uh, the model of, of, of Uber versus uh, taxis. In the old days, you had to negotiate. It was like yeah, a, yeah, it was yeah. like uh, going to a bazaar and negotiating the price and <laughs> wondering whether I, the guy's going to swindle see, you. I've never, I, I, had, I was in a taxi one time, Mom, where they basically screwed us over and charged us 40 bucks in Chicago. That was right. the only time I've ever even realized, like, oh, people are, it's actually just like a game you're playing in the car. Right. <laughs> You're trying to get a better deal. That's that's right. If you're in New York, and uh, we visit our friends in New York, and they, if you get in the cab, and they say, no, 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 turn here. No, no go down <laughs> fifth. Go down. And they're working hard to get get some more money. That's what it is. Yeah. They they, so, they try. It's a hard life, but it, but it's a different business altogether. Yeah. And in fact, uh, one of our friends used to drive a taxi, and he, we took him for his first time in a mm-hmm. uh, a lift. And uh, his wife uh, loved it a lot, and he was saying, well, it, it seemed efficient and everything, but he noticed a big difference in how the drivers drove. A taxi driver wouldn't encroach on the part on the pedestrian ways, uh, like to, to make a turn and mm-hmm. sort of push through. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Uber driver uh, has the wants to get there as soon as possible because the price is fixed. Right. The taxi driver is, has incentive to be safer because it'll just make yeah. the meter go. Yeah, up. and if he damages his car, that's his car. He's right. pay for those. Like those different. It's a whole different type of incentive for a lift, a lift versus a uh, taxi. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Mars earlier, and I and I wanted to just touch on Elon and his like ideas because recently I've been, you know, I've been on just Twitter and I just realized like there's a lot of people that are really, really I don't know if against Elon, but like really against like Tesla. They don't think it's gonna work. SpaceX is kind of just like a pipe dream, you know, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, born out of they. He's pretty successful, and uh, and they. Just they're jealous. Yeah, yeah there's <laughs> jealousy. Yeah, I, or I they're think saying he's you know breaking the rules and stuff. I mean, he's he's doing he's doing so many different things now. He's got his you know, boring company, the mm-hmm. power wall things. Yeah, he, and he can do all these things, uh, but he's really stretching himself very thin. He's mm-hmm. kind of puts his money where his mouth is because, like a Tesla, everyone complains he's got this huge benefit package. Only if he takes the company to these milestones yeah. that are really harsh yeah. milestones. Yeah. He will get zero if he doesn't do that. So that's that's the kind of CEO you want. Right, yeah. So, yeah. But that, I think he didn't realize how bad going public would be. That's why he will never put SpaceX public for mm-hmm. a couple of reasons. One is it would start getting twisted by the quarterly reports, and the other one is that... Uh, uh, he just couldn't do what he felt was best to do. Like, right. For instance, the star uh, uh, ship that he's coming up with and the big, the big heavy booster that'll lift it, they were going to be made out of similar technology and uh, carbon fiber technology as of two years ago. They were testing tanks. And maybe a year ago, they tested a, a carbon fiber 30-diameter uh, fuel tank for the upper stage. They uh, decided that that was not working out because of costs and the possibilities of heat damage and reentry, so they switched it all up. It's not going to be stainless steel. Hmm. 
They're making it out of stainless steel, and the re-entry of the heat problem is going to be solved with little pores in the outer uh, underbelly that a liquid will evaporate through and create a, a cooling vapor barrier as oh, they re-enter. So keep it cool as it comes back down. And stainless yeah. steel can get you know another 800 degrees hotter than any other right, metal out right, there, right. and it doesn't do any substantial right. damage. I mean, the, uh, the a really cool plane from the Cold War, the YB-70, was a a supersonic bomber uh, delta wing. It looked almost like a thing out of Star Wars, if you wow. want to check it out. Really? It, but they made it out of corrugated stainless steel because they they couldn't, even titanium wouldn't have held up. They didn't even know how to mill that much <laughs> uh, titanium. Yeah, it was um, so big. It was big, and it was, yeah, it was a gigantic bomber um, oh, yeah. with delta wing and canards in the front, and and uh, someday when we're not doing a podcast, I'll tell you some really interesting stories about how wonderfully it failed and how yeah. interesting stories the pilots had. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, that's, 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 but, uh, yeah, I mean, so they, they made it out of stainless steel, and I think he's going to do that. It'll, look, it'll, it'll mm. probably work out, because no one thought, well... But he can couple that with his new engines, uh, which are the full flow-through engines, which this is probably way over the head of the podcast, people. But uh, this, the way they power the pumps, because you have to pump like a, two swimming pools of fuel a second to yeah. the engines or something. Wow. And there's huge turbine pumps. <laughs> they burn rocket fuel to run a turbine. And you can sometimes see these sort of cylindrical donut-shaped things next to the rocket nozzle. And that runs the pump that pumps it. But it Wastes fuel outside. Yeah. yeah. So he's come up, and scientists and NASA people have been t- talking about this is a full flow through engine where there are two turbines, and one of them burns um, to pump the oxidizer, and one burns to pump the uh, fuel. But the two of them, one of them they burn rich, a lot extra fuel, uh, so and that keeps it cooler. The other one they burn lean, that keeps it cooler too. But then, because there's fuel and oxidizer left over, they put that back into the engine, so every drop of fuel wow. is burned wow. in the engine, yeah. and the turbo pumps can be kept at a good 800 degrees cooler, maybe, so that they aren't stressed, so they're going to last much longer. So Whoa. it's a more complicated engine, but that's the way Elon Musk thinks. He right. says that we this is really hard to do, and people might say in a public company, well, we can't risk that. He says, yeah, we're going to do this. Listen, if he had, it was a public company and said, I'm going to land rockets on a, spa- on a craft in the ocean, I yeah. think he would have lost all his money right there, too. Because, I mean, that, those, what you just described about the process of how the engine does that, I mean, I, I feel confident Elon's going to do it. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know the technology as well as he does, but I have a strong feeling that, you know, the, the successes he's had with his launches and just the, the trajectory of it, you know, I can see, I can see Mars very quickly. I can yep. see it. But they won't have a ship big enough to land those big boosters on. They'll have to bring them back to land, I'm pretty sure. I don't, okay. I don't know. Maybe he'll just make a big drone ship. He's bringing his, the West Coast drone ship through the Panama Canal to bring it to Florida, and oh, wow. he's building a third one because he expects to use the Falcon Heavies for a while to launch satellites, mm-hmm. and he can now use more of the fuel to launch them. He'll catch the two side boosters on two drone ships, and then the third booster he'll catch farther out. Wow. So do you think Elon Musk really has like opened the floodgates to the to to basically the universe for humans? Like, has he really like the idea of reusable rockets? Has that really done that? For well, us, that's I something I remember from being six years old and watching Buck yeah. Rogers. All the rockets came back and mm-hmm. burned and landed yeah. on their tail. Yeah, I've, they I've all seen did all those this. old cartoons where it just lands perfectly. The guys get out. Everyone's fine. Like, that's <laughs> right. They refuel yeah. it and they take off again. Yeah. See, that's that's. I mean, that's. Elon is the the last hope for the Jetsons. I feel like that's what it is. Like, is I mean, the stuff he does doesn't make any sense. I mean, he shot a rocket with one of the cars in right. it. Like, what? Just yeah. for fun. Well, I mean, that's well, the type he, of guy you want on this side. Normally, they send a block of concrete or something just to simulate the weight. Do they, is that oh, really? Is it really? Whenever they test missiles out uh, in the uh, in the early days, they would just put a dummy weight on it because oh. they didn't want to waste any expensive stuff on it. And he right. was, the car was so they're though. never they're never empty. No, no, because they want to make sure it's got a simulated weight that makes, payload for the test. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, uh, this is probably weird, but I, do you remember that I 
told you I started a satellite launch project in high school? Uh, no, no, oh. you didn't. Well, you listen, forgot to well, mention that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you can check it. It's on the AP. If you go online, you can find a news copy from 1967 in May, and there's a picture of me and stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but uh, we, the, I was trying to convince the uh, 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 NASA that was doing some early testing that if you're just testing these, they were, they were Titan missiles they were testing at the time, could you could we could put something and we could make, and we could yeah. put it in there, and uh, that that turned it out to be a way more complicated thing than I expected. <laughs> yeah. Did you get you get any like correspondence with them? Or, like, oh yeah, I got. Yeah, I'm probably I might have it in the garage out there. I might have a box with some. Oh, that's of awesome. That's so awesome. But uh, yeah, we didn't um, get to the launch, but we got to build stuff, and we got to interact with Fairchild, which was uh, the the. the Integrated circuit company. The first integrated circuits, like operational amplifiers and digital circuits and chips, were being made. And I corresponded with them, and they would send us shipments of these things. So you're talking about the 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 original chips used in the spacecraft? Do you mean like original chips in like general? Were they first being produced? They were the first integrated circuits that were being sold commercially. And the space industry is what pushed them to start making them because they had to make them high reliable. They had to make a lot of them for testing and so that's what really bootstrapped the fact that we have integrated circuits everywhere wow i did not know that i mean it, it makes a lot of sense because the timing like timing coincides very well when you think about when the space program started and when silicon valley started really like you know the hewlett packers and the intel they started picking up that makes a lot of sense that's interesting so you're you're a I, I always want to think of you as like the engineer, but you're really a space guy. I feel like I don't know if like it would. Like, I like space. You like space a lot. I mean, the way you describe that rocket. I mean, you like you're 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 deep in it. You watch like every one one of those launches, don't you? Oh, I, I think the space. They always say it, it brings a lot of technologies into use, and uh, you know, space mm-hmm. ice cream is not one of them, and Tang isn't one of them. But a <laughs> lot of things like integrated circuits that yeah. people don't realize yeah. that was driven, and then suddenly they were, they were available people started making other equipment and things right. with them. That's 100% and true. I mean, yeah. I was able, because uh, I did various technology things, I did some medical research. In medical research, I would build various custom equipment at the time, and this is back in the 70s, and I could take advantage of really cool charge-couple devices for delay lines, and mm. I could buy chips and, and, and build little circuits and logic, so I could build a little box that did some particular thing like uh, we had to do a real-time product of flow rates and concentrations, but the two instruments didn't, they had a lag. So, so we're talking about medical instruments you're using and and building the technology to, to, to better use them? Or? Right. There'd often be like an instrument that couldn't measure carbon monoxide or could measure flow rates and, and gases, okay. but the, the research wanted to do the constant integral of the flow and, and concentration so you could do an instantaneous integral to map up how much carbon monoxide came out in that breath or how much uh, helium was. So there'd be mass spectrometers and stuff and so I'd go in there and tap off wires and stuff and build little boxes that would help, you know, like for uh, uh, make simulation, simulators for uh, uh, pulmonary sorts of things. I know know quite a bit about pulmonary from an engineering standpoint because I would write the simulations for it. Yeah, wow. See, my medical knowledge is low, so you, you have the a wide, because I mean, the time you've worked, you had a wide spectrum of of experience building technology for medical institutions, or well, just it was also a prime. Hospitals. It was a prime time for I, you know, did lots of different things because there weren't many people who put computerized things together. That was just mm-hmm. the seventies is when they yeah. just started using yeah. controlling systems right. that were computerized, and so I did a lot of interesting stuff in school, and then I just was able to pick it up. I mean, there was no way to really learn. You just picked it up. You yeah. got the spec sheets from the company. You wow. you made a little test board, and then you say, "Okay, I think I can make this work." And then you build it. See, that's 
So you're telling me, I'm sorry, I'm just a little guess. So you're telling me these institutions would send you, would send them to you? Like, or the like, components? The, yeah, the components, they would well, send them yeah, to you? Yeah, back in high school, they actually sent me boxes of integrated circuits uh, that wow. were, uh, you know, pretty cool things at the time. I think they were intrigued that I was interested. But, uh, um, yeah, the guy who went on to start uh, uh, Intel was uh, one of the guys at Fairchild. Um, and uh, so we um, we got cool stuff that was probably at the time I didn't realize it was probably tens of thousands of dollars yeah. worth of stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think they probably gave us the stuff that didn't quite pass the space, right. so they had to make it anyway. <laughs> right, so right. We so got, but it was cool stuff. It was really right up there. That's, yeah, that's so cool because I mean, like that's not what can happen nowadays. Feels like I feel like there would be a, a violation of some law if you sent someone some type of system like that you know what i mean there'd be some type of like hurdle I, that would I, cause I that because yeah, I, I mean that's just not i mean what did you describe of just you know this company just sending you these things in high school so you just wrote them and said hey i'm interested in this and i want these components to build something and we're and, doing this and they showed some of the communications we had with uh, nasa and the, and the <laughs> tests and they said yeah, i guess they said sure why yeah, not we saw I, the I nasa know. stuff and they were like yeah i think he knows yeah, so, <laughs> i mean we went to uh, some of the aerospace uh, labs at uh, U of M and we're t- wow. talking to them about radio uh, transmission for our satellite and mm-hmm. what sort of power we'd need and wow. ground stations. See, that's, that's, I mean, you're, I mean, so you, you, in high school, you were doing that. In college, you, you went to MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your, like, major at MIT? Actually, I that's that. actually um, a, a thing. I was a real dilettante there. I, was, okay. I, I took courses in aerospace engineering and nuclear engineering I all the basic math things they require that you yeah. take as the undergrad uh, yeah. stuff uh, <laughs> physics and whatnot uh, but then I bumped into that's when I, I bumped into uh, building 20 long before there was Silicon Valley there was building 20 at MIT and uh, it's long gone it was a temporary building built after World War II a three-story wooden building built on a swamp and so it it actually sagged in and when I was there in the 60s uh you could have rolled a bowling ball and it would have, you know, just, you could see the pits and where beams were settling. But wow. that was all the coolest high tech stuff. I mean, Marvin Minsky was down the hall from where I was working with, uh, I borrowed books from him. And the I worked in the speech lab with Dennis Klatt and uh, Stevens, and we were doing speech. I mean, it was really, really early speech stuff. There had been some stuff done at Bell Labs, but to try and make it work on a reasonable, a computer, which was a PDP-9, which was about eight, ten feet wide and six feet high, and uh, <laughs> it was a 12-bit processor, and we had we upgraded to 16K words oh, wow. of core memory. <laughs> you couldn't start the machine without loading a paper tape first to bootstrap. You had to bootstrap the loader that would then load that would drive the mag tapes they were block oriented mag tape we didn't have disk drives and they would move back and forth and so once you loaded the paper tape in the morning uh, then you would run then you could load the real computer programs and then we didn't have enough compute power to, for instance, to, to do the Fourier, the frequency analysis for mm-hmm. the voice. So we actually had a physical filter bank with uh, 16 bands, I think it was, yeah. that were tuned to each band, and then they had a 10 millisecond filter out. And we had enough compute power to sample 16 channels every 10 mil- milliseconds for one value. See, this is how, you know, I want to get back to what you said, but this is how I know I'm lucky as a software engineer today's world we didn't have to do any of that to start my computer you're, what you're describing just to get it going just, and just to just to <laughs> just to begin the process of seeing if there's a bug or not if this is working or not mm-hmm. i mean that's that's incredible so it's like 1960 what 1960 67 through 70 through 70 you're you're there working on speech technology which I'm, I mean, I'm assuming there's some information out, but probably no one really understands the people in that room. Or maybe people at Bell Labs, or maybe people in the government or whatever, but pretty much just people in the room that knew about it in a technical level. There were, there were a couple other schools that were working on it in Bell Labs, so there were, there were maybe 50 people total wow. that were working on wow. that sort of problem. I remember you told me before, so they were actually, you could, it was, you could ask a question, but it would answer you. 
We, it was, it was, well, it, it was, you, you could be working in the lab, a dweeby little, you know, kid like me, and you could say, what if we tried this? And the, it was so new, a fresh idea, they'd sit down and they'd listen to you. It might be wow. stupid, but they'd, they'd like, well, it's, uh, there might be something to that. And so <laughs> they go to the chalkboard and do some stuff. But, uh, wow. You know. Well, you mean you guys had it, like, at a point working where you could hear hear a voice come back like speech that was working well there are two things two things that we're doing dennis clapp is actually the uh, father i consider the father of tts text to speech in fact um it was uh um Golly, I'm drawing a blank here now. The, the everyone we know, the Hawking, who mm, yeah. who needed a voice, and he contacted Dennis Clatt. Uh, yeah, and in fact, Hawking's voice is a version of Dennis Clatt's voice. Wow! So th- that guy uh, did that, and uh, yeah, I heard, actually, I heard he wasn't. He didn't want to remove it either. After new technology came out, he wanted to keep his. That's his keep voice. Yes, yeah, his voice. His yeah, new, yeah. New voice. Well, they did. They came up with some new technology that took that voice and remodeled it, but he still sounded the same way because oh. the software wouldn't run anymore in any of the computers. <laughs> yeah. That's what he was faced with. I see. Yeah. You yeah. know, you couldn't put the uh, eight-inch floppy in. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's incredible. I love asking about that because I mean, now it seems like we're surrounded by speech technology, but to me, I mean, it seemed like it just kind of popped up past like less than 10 years, but you've been... Oh no, it's been going since the 50s actually. that's, that's, I mean, most people probably have no idea that that's the case because a lot of the stuff like, recently I saw there was like VR patents in the 60s and 50s where they had headsets and like machines they're working on that would do what, you know, Oculus Rift is now. Like there's, those type of things are like, happen then and are now showing up now at this parallel. In the the early 80s, I went to a conference in San Francisco for VR and they had primitive of headsets yeah. and uh, they were attempting to you know, model 3D on really, really fairly low-grade yeah. uh, hardware. Do you, do you feel like, do you feel like, I mean, do you feel like the advancement of AI and just like, you know, building specifically, you know, for just like applications, like, do you feel like that just needed more time to grow to finally start to get integrated? Or do you, I mean, there's a big AI, right? Like the idea of like, you know, Terminator going to know everything to kind of get you. And then there's like those small applications where you see it. AI has changed dramatically. First of all, uh, doing linear regression used to be considered AI because, wow, you could put this in the equation and then you could predict what yeah. the end. So that was really cool. But back in uh, like the uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, when Marvin Minsky was working on stuff, they were doing what they called hard AI, which is very different from the AI that's being done now. Mm-hmm. They would try and come up with, um, like he was, uh, Minsky was working on this thing called block world how do you understand visually what's what's in this and they could do simple things like uh put the red block on top of the blue block and put the uh, you know the green block on top of the red block yeah. uh mm-hmm. and then ask if you could take the blue block and then of course common senses that would fall so how do you just the simplest these are just yeah, absolutely toy worlds yeah. and they were having a hard time figuring that out uh he, he also was trying to figure out things like logic of questions uh, like story problem things and he he created this whole idea of frames where you would have a frame that was like one little bit of knowledge uh, if you if you put uh, uh, water in a glass the glass will be full uh, if you tip the glass over the water will go out of the glass you know mm-hmm. just and he had all these little things that you could put together and then reason it turns out that that's Gets that led to what we call expert systems, which um, I worked with in the mid '80s, which got brittle because all the rules you start to put in, you don't realize it, but some of the rules are slightly in contention with, and some are absolutely opposite of mm-hmm. what other, and you're not aware. And then the system gets brittle and starts doing wacky things. I mean, imagine this example: you have a rule: all birds uh, have wings. Yes, that's true, and uh, birds fly, except an ostrich or a kiwi. 
dust mm-hmm. and fly. Mm-hmm. People can handle that sort of stuff like that. Uh, uh, but that hard I couldn't. It, well, yeah. yeah, unless you figured out, oh, there's a contention there. Mm-hmm. I'll bite a special case. And then you start writing special cases, and those are almost as bad as the... <laughs> then the special case gets flaky. It's, uh, yeah. it's sort of like whether your loop stops on zero or one. or oh, You know, oh, geez, you yeah. make a mess, and you don't realize what's going on. So now we've got the deep learning things, which are based on neural nets. Yeah, and those were like the 90s, right? Or well, those came out? The first neural net I remember reading about was a hardware neural net, and it was in the late 50s. Oh my, wow. Yeah, and they were writing Fortran versions of neural nets in the 60s and doing experimental work. They were pretty limited, but yeah, the first actual neural net that I saw was that they didn't have the compute power for it, so they used light going through a glass plate so there's a solution with tin in it, and then there were cross electrodes, and then by putting a current through it one way or the other, you would plate tin slowly on the glass under that spot, and then a photo cell would, uh, a ray of photo cells would go through it. So that's how you you would add the weights. I don't know mm, if you know how yeah. neural nets work. You have yeah. weights to all of the inputs. Yeah. It was electrochemically stored weights on the circuits, and, and you could make it do things like learn uh, logic, and you could make it learn things about decision trees, and and it worked. It was wow. kind of clunky, but yeah. so it's way back from the late 50s that neural nets started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember reading all sorts of papers about understanding uh, how systems, how visual systems worked in cats, and that was all in the 60s, early 60s, mm. where they would they found out that there are all these sort of things that cat's eye sees a slanted line it sees it sees a, a block moving it's and those are each neuron would detect that sort of stuff and now if if you look at a deep neural net vision system and you look at some of the intermediate layers where it's not the final image or the final decision of what that image is mm-hmm. you start to see these things that look like diagonal lines and mm-hmm. and top shaded or bottom shaded and, mm-hmm. and and it's figured out kind of how a vision system works yeah so you think the the you know the image classification that type of technology i mean we see it with Tesla's with the uh, autonomous stuff they're working on, those have gotten really, really good. You know, would you say the more data has helped, or? Well, that's another problem too. It's not real, like human intelligence, because uh, you can have a kid and show them something two or three times, or tell them, and they learned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to have like uh, ten thousand examples of something for, and you don't know what it's learning. Have you seen any of the uh, 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 the adversarial things that people have done for, uh, like recognizing traffic signs? You can have you can recognize stop signs and everything. People have done adversarial stuff and learned that it really obviously isn't looking at the same way we do. Because if you take the stop sign with the red with the white band around and stop, mm-hmm. and you put three pieces of tape on it, one and one cut and another, it'll confuse it for a yield sign. Oh wow! And you can. There are things you can look this up. Adversarial traffic sign uh, recognition. Yeah. And it's you'll see. So mm. we don't know exactly what it's learning, and you know that the, they can put like just a few speckles into a cat photo and make it say that it's impossible. To not not impossible. Think it's, it's totally it's, something else. Yeah, something else. Yeah. So yeah, that's. So it's not yeah. learning the way we learn. No, at all. right. It's 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 not. Well, like you said, we don't really know. A lot of what it or what it how it learns or what it what it is like retaining or I don't it's hard to even think about these things because these are all like different systems they're not together as one and it's like it's solving a certain thing that's one of the biggest things right now is to come up with explainable AI yeah to have it yeah. come up with a way that you can interrogate it why did you pick that why is this more like a frog than a chipmunk right uh, you can get that data back and actually see what it's see what, what it's thinking what it did and yeah. But, but I'm still, we still have the problem that when you want to add new things to your data, you have to train the whole model again. Right. Uh, there's no way right. to incrementally add it. You can tell a kid, no, that this this is a, this is a raccoon. It's not a big squirrel. Yeah. And the kid would eventually, would be, after two or three <laughs> raccoon pictures, oh, yeah, I know what a raccoon is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I hear you on that because, you know, I've, I've tried to dabble a little bit, just, you know, starting to learn a little bit about, you know, neural networks and... Uh, Understanding, at least from my own perspective, like where I can use AI for my own projects, things like that. Like, do you feel like 
Do you feel like it's just because of that, like, data is the only way to build models right now because of that? Like, the constant cycle of learning and building more information in the system, like, there's no... I mean, I've, I've read about a few different, you know, different types of learning that people have been trying to do that kind of diverges from that, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Well... I don't know even where to begin. I mean, the the learning, the learning that humans do. That we there are clear studies on this. There's an immense difference between the learning that an infant will do by just watching someone else or sitting on someone's lap and interacting with it. There's an immense difference in in the quality and the amount and speed of learning that goes on. So. I almost think that we're going to have to raise something, and we're going to have to come up with something that actually, and then maybe the beauty of computational things is you could copy it and you could clone, mm-hmm. clone the Clone Wars. Well, <laughs> we could have, we could, you could, but you're going to have to teach it. I think it's going to be a long process, and even, even, even for us with our obviously much more efficient learning machine brains uh, than mm-hmm. than neural nets now. Um, we're we're going to have to take a long. We take a long time. Yeah. We take decades. Yeah, to, yeah, very you know, true. I'm, I, I'm still learning, and it just it just goes on. So how do you how do you get that? That's probably the way it'll go. We'll actually somehow foster a a, a child, and maybe I've, I've often had this fantasy of some of the things when I work on for these uh, intelligent agents is to have how to find and verify a a band that's like a family, like aunts and uncles you could trust to help. You don't want to do the, what was it, uh, Teo or whatever that Microsoft... Uh, oh, it's uh, it's like uh, so, uh, like Twitter. They made bot. that, and yeah, then they yeah, turned it into yeah. a, a hedonistic monster <laughs> Nazi. <laughs> because yeah, because you, just, you don't let your kid get on the bus and talk to everyone that's out there. <laughs> yeah. So, But if you're going to train it, you probably have a group of people that would be right. trusted educators and Right. parental units that, and that is a that is a fascinating way to think about it because I think I mean yeah so learning is learning is always going to be an obstacle um, but the people that you that help teach it that's interesting that's interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense I mean there's so many different cases people use things for like if you're building AI for it how can you know to satisfy all of those things if you haven't let you know you even let the aunt come over and take the kid home and let him play around their house, you know? So it's, that makes a lot of sense. That's fascinating, though. Yeah, AI, yeah, I guess this and is... And AI yeah. is just a big whole yeah. word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. There's, like, machine learning, which isn't considered AI, and then there's right. this AGI stuff that... See, general intelligence. A- AGI. Yeah, this, this uh, artificial general intelligence. Oh, okay. Which is kind of like the Terminator uh, or... I see, I see. Because they started splitting it up more, yeah. yeah but right now, yeah. when they talk about AI, they say, you know, can you recognize a, a, a license plate? Can you can you see if it's a dog or a cat? That, yeah. You can can you recognize whether this word or sentence was spoken? Those are just pattern recognition things, and they're yeah. really not. And 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 that's the majority of what people see in a day to day. That type of right. technology. And, and when you think about it, uh, a thermometer when it was first invented was AI. It, mm. You put it into the solution and it would it would know what the temperature was i i see the most mm. incredibly complicated ai that we use for like visual and audio it's just a sensor mm. it just tells me the person said frogs or the person there's a picture of a building yeah and and it's just a sensor it's a really complicated sensor yeah, but yeah. that's all it is is yeah. a sensor and now it's like algorithm right yeah i mean it's 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 something that you just train for something that feels like we speech recognition sort of started out that way as as trying to look at templates you'd say something and we'd look at all the filtery things and then you you could then adjust normalize it for uh, length and mm-hmm. height and then you could take that template supposedly and when you said that word again you could find that word yeah Turns out people don't say things yeah. like that. <laughs> words change yeah. depending on how what words are around them, mm. and yeah, the co-articulation of how we say, and we don't stop between words. That was the other one. When we first got dictation software, you 
had to speak every word in isolation. Wow, I see. I that see. was hard to learn to do. <laughs> yeah, just the process of trying to speak is like can understand you. Right. Wow, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. See, and yeah, I'm so glad we have this conversation with AI because I, I love talking to you about AI, and I and I and I and I just. All right, so. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great talking to you about AI, and it really coincides with what we were talking about earlier with Andrew Yang and just, you know, the idea of, like, AI and robots, you know, are going to come through and take over a lot of these jobs, you know. Um, the company is, is it's slipping my mind right now that does the robotics. Um, Boston Dynamics, oh. yeah. Like, oh, those, those are super robots. <laughs> yeah, those are skills they are frightening. They can do parkour. Those they, are they, frightening. Yeah. They're more athletic than me, and I'm 24. I'm over here. I'm feeling very inf- in, inferior to our overlords, mm-hmm. and and I know it's gonna hit a lot of different people because, like, I feel like I'm, you know, technically inclined, so I kind of have an advantage today because the society's getting more and more. I don't know. More and more on the internet, and more and more things are more uh, software-driven. It's gonna it's gonna hurt a lot of people that just didn't haven't really caught on to that, you know. So I'm I'm I like Yang. I like his proposals. I, I you know I hope he keeps getting on those debate stages, you know, hmm. and keep and keeps making a making a nice run at it. Saying that a lot of things get replaced. I mean, we know about horses and you know blacksmiths getting replaced, and and, and horse manure shovelers uh, in New York City that would pile up like two stories high in different corners of manure that would then be taken out. That that was great. Uh, but the the loom, the weaving was done by hand, and then the the jacquard loom. The reason I mentioned that is because it had cards that had holes in it that would run through, and the machine would then figure out which bolts of of uh, of thread the put back and forth and the jacquard cards were the uh, idea behind the hollerith cards for punch cards that computer <laughs> use ah, oh wow so it all ties together here but the 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 idea is that things get replaced all the time, and um, uh, it's, I mean, even, even uh, you know, the sorts of things that, I, I don't know, but, but they, they do get replaced, and that's that's different, it's change, and I don't know how you, you can't tell someone, well, don't worry about it, it's change, because it's their job, I know, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's important. Um, but the safety net would be that if everyone is guaranteed that as automation takes over, that they can they can continue to study if they want. They can just continue to live yeah, along, yeah, yeah. you know, easily with whatever there is. But I have a feeling people will not be happy with that. They'll just they'll take the you know mm-hmm. I can exist and I will either learn something or I'll start a business or I'll write a book yeah, or and yeah. something that will be positive and contributory yeah. will be. I I totally agree. I'm under the same impression and I think the internet for me has a lot to do with that because if people were freed up to be able to you know pay for their rent pay for their food you know a thousand dollars a month I mean we're saying it most people pay for their rent pay for their food and they can be in the focus on bettering themselves and they have access to you know Google and everything on it most people given the opportunity do something right hey everyone thanks for listening to this episode of the black emo podcast about life tech and the road to happiness you can follow me on twitter for updates on the podcast at jordan wc jackson thanks everyone peace